Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. John Garcia, Jr., Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated. Joining me, of course, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. John, let's get right into it. The Texas Longhorns are 5-2. and two. They had a tough-fought battle against the Iowa State Cyclones, winning that matchup 24-21. to 21. And I would say that there's some duality in the fan base, right? You have the part of the fan base that's saying, hey, this is a team that beat us three years in a row. This is a team that, you know, maybe last year would have lost this game. They found a way to win. This is a great win. And then you have the other side of the fan base that's saying Iowa State sucks. You know, they shouldn't have been able to score. How did they get 21 points on us? This game was way too close for comfort. Texas hasn't turned the corner yet. From somebody that's on the outside looking in and has no dog in this fight or horn in this fight, I should say, what's your perspective on what you saw between Texas and Iowa State on Saturday? Look, I mean, there was really no way to conceivably assume that game was going to be like like the Red River rivalry, right? There was no way to assume it was going to project as an easy win because those teams couldn't be more different, Oklahoma and, and Iowa State, right? Obviously, that's from a football standpoint. And then emotionally, my gosh, just imagine Quinn Ewers. Imagine a lot of players that are are early to this, this rivalry and Steve Sarkeesian's team getting up for Oklahoma. I mean, I think you could have easily projected last week, maybe all your shows, JD, you could have said this, this has got trap game written all over, right? Oklahoma state the following week, a bunch of ranked teams thereafter. Uh, This was really the beginning of, of Texas's gauntlet. So it would, it would be easy to overlook a team like this, especially at home, given their record. But if, if you, if you watched Iowa state this year, and I think all three of their losses are like, 12 or 13 points combined, right? So they've it was, lost, 11, it was 11 points combined going into the game. Right. So so they lost a ton of, of heartbreakers. Really, you knew this was a really gritty team with a good passing game, a wide receiver core combination, and an excellent defense that really, under Matt Campbell, they've always done this. They take away your best thing. Whatever that thing is, that's their focus. So obviously it was B. John Robinson and limiting that Texas running game. So it had to come down to yours and Worthy and, and Whittington and those guys winning their one-on-one matchups because they weren't going to let Bijan add to his, you know, Heisman tape, you know, highlight. So that's what they did, uh, and they did it effectively, and I think Texas showed a lot of grit in responding to that, um, not only from Quinn himself having to show really for the first time um, some patience, right, and some you know, hey, make some nice throwaways, right? Things that we don't often talk about on these podcasts, protect the football. Um, you know, he had to do some of those things. And then when the moments were there, he had to hit them, right? Uh, whether it's it's an individual one-on-one battle with Worthy or Whittington or even Sanders uh, to some degrees, getting uh, Robinson involved in the passing game, that late, you know, over route uh, in the scene was was beautiful on, on both Quinn and, and Bijan's part. Not easy to, to execute those things. So there was some growth and some maturity and patience shown uh, by Quinn uh, on that offense. Uh, and obviously the skill guys had to win those battles, right? You, we, we know these players are good, but you still have to go out there and do it, you know, particularly Xavier Worthy, I thought. You know, you had to win one-on-one matchups against good corners, you know, good players uh, who, who kind of, you know, were in your hip all game, right? There was no... There wasn't that Xavier Worthy play where there's 10 yards between him and the next guy. That that didn't show up in this game. So he had to work for it and, and work on the intricacies. The route running had to win just as much as his speed and, and instincts had to win. And, and he was able to step up in that regard. And again, I think the defense 
for the second week in a row, really stepped up. Um, obviously not as as dominant, but you know, once the flow of that game, you know, you know, took hold, uh, I thought that uh, there were some big moments uh, for that Texas defense. Obviously, the special teams is included here: the block punt, the interception in the end zone, uh, all really clutch in, in what always looked like it was going to be a pretty tight game. Uh, you force a fumble there late, uh, of course, controversially to win it, uh, to, to put it away. Um, but look, you still had to be, to be there, make the play, right? You still had to explode. If you're cook, you had to explode through contact and, and dislodge the football from Decker. So, uh, outside of some, you know, some typical mistakes, right. Um, and, and some, some great plays from ISU, right. Those receivers one-on-one, were just as good as Texas's. It felt like, right? Uh, Hutchinson and, and Noel, in particular, you know, you you took some L's with those guys, but you you regrouped thereafter. And and look, you sprinkle in a little gift of of an Xavier Hutchinson drop for uh, for the second time this season, uh, unfortunately for him, and you walk away with with a victory. So this could have easily been a trap game where you're down double digits the whole time. And and I don't think football folks would have been totally surprised if you watched ISU. And, and again, you've got to win the dud games too. Uh, I was talking about this on another pod, you know, going into, I think the Auburn game, Georgia didn't look great against Kent state and probably should have lost to Missouri, but they found a way to climb out against a team that was clearly less talented. So you've, you've got to win your big rivalry games and all that stuff, but you've got to win your, your B efforts and your C efforts as well. Not saying that Texas wasn't up for this game, but you've got to win when things aren't, clicking and you can't just hand it to five and and be okay on offense scoring 30 plus you've got to win in other ways so special teams getting involved turnovers defensively becoming a part of of the picture the winning picture there I thought it was a nice growth moment for Texas and again with Ewers I thought he had to play a different speed and a different style to win this one because the gunslinger doesn't win this one. The gunslinger, Quinn Ewers, turns it over a few more times, and all of a sudden you're, you're down double digits hoping for a miracle and an onside kick. That wasn't the case here. So I thought overall this was a growth moment for Texas ahead of now what we know is going to be the, the bulk and the gauntlet of, of their schedule. Yeah, I definitely think that, uh, you know, Matt Campbell and that defense tried to challenge this Texas offense differently. Um, I think that they, you know, tried to make, you know, Bijan and, and, and Roshan beat him and, and tried to keep him contained inside on the inside run. And I think just Bijan showed why he's special. Roshan, uh, that nice change of pace. And I thought the interior offensive line had their best game of the year. The way they were able to uh, block on the interior, especially on that game winning drive. Speaking of that game winning drive uh, where Texas goes ahead, you know, 24 to 21 for good. Uh, being down 21 to 17, nine of 11 plays on that drive were run plays. And when they got down to, you know, goal distance to go on the goal line, first, second and third down were all run plays before they let Quinn Ewers throw it on fourth and third to the, probably one of the best whip routes you'll ever see. <laughs> Xavier Worthy. Hardest for the game. to cover, man. Yeah, for the, for the game winning touchdown. I really don't think that Quinn Ewers had his fastball on Saturday. And I think that Sark understood that Quinn Ewers didn't have his fastball. We saw him miss the deep pass uh, to Casey Kane on fourth and three on the slot fade. We saw him uh, throw the ball on the ground to JT Sanders backwards, which should have been a fumble, but then he jumps on it, right? It's just Quinn. Hey, but, hey, but that was a clutch. That was a clutch. Yeah, but yeah, he, he, he got it right. For the first time, really, to Texas fans, Quinn Ewers looked mortal. But what I said was it's important that Quinn Ewers didn't lose the game for Texas. You could say that Hunter Decker played a better game than Quinn Ewers, but you can also say that he lost the game for Iowa State with two key turnovers. What yeah, do you think it means? Turnovers in, in the red area, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so exactly, in the end zone. 
What do you think it means for Quinn Ewers to have that type of game you talked about where he's not great, he's not the star of the show, the play caller takes the ball out of his hands as much as he can in the second half, and yet they still walk away with a win against a tough Iowa State team. What do you think that means for Quinn Ewers in such a – I mean, really the, the beginning of his career as a redshirt freshman? Right. That, that's always important context to, to lay out there. This is, what, game four or five for him? overall in college so I, I thought exactly like you said this is a huge growth moment for Quinn uh, it, it wasn't clicking things weren't working down the field and you had to adjust uh, and obviously that's that's a hat tip to Sark and the, the offensive staff as well but he had to execute those change of pace plays on his own um, again we talked about um, I think what a couple shows ago what, what I liked seeing from Ewers was was kind of the intangible stuff, the ball handling, the footwork, the decision-making. And I think even more so this week, we saw more of that, right? With the exception of that, <laughs> the fumble that he that he threw. Um, but, you know, he still had the alertness to, to go and, and get on top of it. And, yeah, I think it would have been so easy for him to press, right? Because you are an all-world quarterback with a huge arm. Um, even if the accuracy isn't quite there, you still know you got it in you, right? I mean, we, we see quarterbacks do it. I mean, Patrick Mahomes did it last night, right? I mean, he just – he was like, my guy's covered, but I'm Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to fit it in. And it was picked off, and they lost the game. So it's so easy, even at the highest level, to channel that and just say, my right arm is better than your instincts and your quickness, so I'm just going to fit it in there. And at, at one point, he decided, let me pull off of that and, and go with what's there. And I think, again – that speaks to his own growth. It could have, it also could have been easy for him to just force it to eight play in play out, right? Just, just force him the ball when he, when he's covered, when, when he's not quite creating that same separation, that could have been a crutch uh, for Quinn as well, but he didn't do that. He still distributed the ball, you know, relatively openly. So I thought all those things were really important for, for his growth. Cause again, you got to win those gritty games too. It's, it's great when things are, wide open and you're you're winning by 49 points and everything's clicking and and you're able to push the ball down the field of course everybody likes that but when you start to think of great quarterbacks it's these games it's the games in the teens and the 20s where it's not all working right you know a, a lot of people last year said Bryce Young's Heisman moment was the Auburn game but that score was like I don't know 10 to 7 or something like that late in that game nothing was working for Bama the whole game turnovers three and outs, penalties, all, all these things, boom. But he got one last drive to, to punch it to overtime. He did, and obviously they won, I think, in three overtime. That was kind of what locked up the Heisman for Bryce Young. So it's not the 400-yard games that we look back at uh, when we evaluate. It's it's these grittier games that you have to you have to go to your secondary pitches, if you will, to to go and, and, and lead your team to victory. So I think this is the first time Quinn, clearly the first time he's had to do that. And if Texas is going to be a double-digit win team or a Big 12 contender or whatever we want to call them, there's going to be more of these games, right? There's going to be more uh, situations that pop up that say, hey, we've got to go win this with defense and, and smart quarterbacking, not gaudy, uh, over-the-top, you know, explosive quarterbacking. 
Yeah, I'm so glad that Texas has a quarterback that can throw for three touchdowns and zero interceptions, and we'll say he didn't have his fastball on Saturday. Uh, but like you said, you know, you, you got to win them any way they come. Uh, after the break, quick word from Upside. We're going to talk about college football in general. We've talked enough about the Longhorns, and we'll talk about them moving forward, getting ready for Oklahoma State. But I got to hear John's expertise on the rest of the teams in the nation. You know, he covers college football as a whole, not just the Longhorns. Unlock the Longhorns. From cringing at the to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant inflation is hitting us all where it hurts and it really hurts that's why i started using upside because upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas groceries or dines out with every purchase i'm earning cash back thanks to upside download the free upside app use promo code lock to get five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more that's five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more using promo code lock all right john so i want to start by asking you uh, a Heisman question. Right now, it seems that Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud are in lockstep. Most people would put Hendon Hooker above C.J. Stroud because they just knocked off Alabama um, on Saturday in Heisman contention. Those seem to be the two front runners by far uh, for the Heisman Trophy this year. So, who do you think has the advantage right now, and why? In 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 the matchup between Hendon Hooker and C.J. Stroud. Well, optics are so important in the Heisman, right? I mean, this is something that. We've talked about forever, right? Because it's it's a human, it's one of the the human poles out there. So optics are so important. So if you're Hendon Hooker, a guy who last year going into the season lost the job. I mean, Joe Milton beat him out. You know, big physical Joe Milton beat him out, and he had to get hurt for Hooker to to take the reins. Now, to his credit, he didn't look back thereafter. Um, but a guy who wasn't, you know, the easy to stamp five star All American quarterback like. C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and you know Caleb Williams, all these guys that we've we've talked about, Trevor Lawrence in years past. So you know, I, I think the climb that Hendon has shown to this point gives him brownie points, right? This is we're journalists, right? Voting on on this Heisman thing. So the better story, you know, often captivates us. But the optics of the most recent game, my gosh, how could you not lean? towards hooker uh no disrespect to stroud uh but yeah notre dame's not the team we thought they were um when when that first game went down and and ohio state had to kind of grind it out against the irish at the time we're like okay that was a big early season hurdle they're gonna you know score a billion points on everyone and we'll see what happens uh when michigan comes to town but um that's not the case right the optics have changed because notre dame has what three losses at this point so with hooker um different kind of deal blowing everyone out early in the season uh and then you're starting to get over humps right and i think again when it comes to that story perspective that matters to the voters right so one big hump florida um, i know this is the first year coaching staff and all that but they hadn't beat them in i don't know five six seven years or whatever it was got over that hump in 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 pretty solid fashion and then obviously bama everybody saw the build up to this one 15 years peyton manning game day Bryce Young is back, the reigning Heisman winner, all, all this stuff that it would have been easy to, to see Bama win that thing by 17 and, and nobody blinks at it. Um, and he comes out just on fire, quite literally on fire. Uh, everything was working for Tennessee early. You knew Bama was coming back. They did. And then Hooker showed a little bit more resilience to, to come through at the end. Uh, and it almost was a crash and burn situation, right? I mean, that when I think it was 42 all. He's reading the mesh. Read option fumbled. Yeah. It's like, oh, Bama, back and you're just like, found oh, a way. Bama found really? a way. Yeah. You're like, is this how it's going to end after all this? Uh, but no, he he came back and um, and persevered and made some unbelievable throws. Uh, you talk about trusting your arm. That last ball 
to Jalen Hyatt, who, by, by the way, <laughs> the, the Belitnikoff Award, I think, changed a little bit last week, too, because five touchdowns against Bama in that spot. Wow. Unbelievable. But, you know, on that last ball, he was flushed. He he scrambled left. He's a right-hander. He scrambled left, double-clutched towards Hyatt. So a ball that we see every Saturday getting intercepted, but he still had the velocity, the velocity and the juice on it uh, to get it into Hyatt's hands to set up that that game-winning field goal, which was the ugliest game winner we've ever seen. But they'll take it. They'll take it in Knoxville. So I just think the optics of that puts Hooker above just about everyone else. And what's great for him, just from a continued perspective, you've got Georgia in a couple weeks, right? So if if you knock down Bama and Georgia with a prolific offense led by you in a few weeks span, that, that's really going to be hard for anybody to overcome unless CJ just continues with the crazy stats that he's put up. And he, maybe he blows out Michigan, maybe something like that, especially after Michigan winning last year, maybe that can tip the scales. But like you said, JD, it really does feel like a two horse race and prisoner of the moment or not right now, Hooker's story is more compelling. His climb is more compelling. And obviously he has, he has the best win in the country uh, on, under his belt at this point. Yeah, if he beats Georgia, like you like to say on the show, you got me saying it in, in other aspects of life. You can write him down as Sharpie as the Heisman winner. Uh, yeah. Who's been the most disappointed team in college football this far this year for you? Besides Notre Dame, nobody wants to talk about Notre Dame out here. So outside of Notre <laughs> Dame, who's been the most disappointing team in college football this year for you? That's a good question. You know, I think it could be Penn State. I think Notre Dame and AM always get preseason hype, and I – I get it for Notre Dame to a degree. I, I don't get it for AM. I, I said it on this show. I've said it on other shows. Every year they're eight and four, nine and three. The recruiting is great, but it, it never, it's never over the hump. It's never exciting offensively. This is something that we've come to expect from that team. So naturally losing to a group of five opponents, um, you know, it, w- it wasn't a huge surprise to me in terms of disappointing. But I think Penn State, you know, defensively has a bunch of dudes. They've got a starter, our starting quarterback who's been there for 26 years, I think, in Clifford. They've got uh, a great skill talent, you know, at running back and tight end, like they always do. And uh, they've they've put up some duds. You know, they won some duds that were were ugly, not not optically the same as as Texas over ISU. And then in a big spot, uh, I think Saturday against Michigan, um, you, you had a chance, right? You started slow. You, you got a gifted pick six or fumble six to go up on Michigan and. You never stepped on it. You never took advantage of that. And Michigan quite literally ran away uh, with the rest of that game with under Blake Corum, who who also deserves uh, some Heisman consideration uh, at this point in my mind. Um, so I think Penn State is one that that could feel a little bit disappointing going into the season. We were talking about the Big Ten as maybe, and it sounds funny now, maybe the best conference this year in, in terms of just top tier teams at the top and then depth thereafter. But I think Penn State, Michigan State in, is belongs in this conversation. Wisconsin, you know, just falling off a little bit really to, takes away the, the strong optics uh, of the Big Ten. So I, I, I would end up going with one of those schools, but I think Penn State had the most expectation uh, between the three. Best team in the country, not in the SEC. Oof. It's it's Ohio State. Um, look, that offense is absurd. Um, there's there's really no other way to put it. And they're not even healthy. And they're still absurd. Like, they, they haven't – I don't even think they've been at full strength once this year. Smith and Jigla hasn't been out there. The running backs haven't been able to play together consistently, um, which is really scary. And they're still putting up 40, 50 on, on whoever. 
but the defense has taken a step forward. And I think that is something uh, that we maybe were waiting on. Uh, we wanted to see it before we believed it. Um, e- even though they went out and got Knowles from Okie State and all of that, you still wanted to see it to believe it. Now, again, Notre Dame isn't what we thought it was, and the schedule hasn't been too scary for OSU just yet, but they are dominating to a degree on that side of the ball. So I do think that deserves uh, some number one consideration. And I think Clemson, man, quietly, somehow quietly, um, undefeated. Um, they're they're winning big games uh, at home and on the road. Um, DJ Uyangalale has has figured things out to to his ceiling in my mind. It's not CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker, you know, prolific wise, but uh, it's consistent. And he's taking care of the ball, and he's running the ball, and he's massive. Uh, and that offense looks a lot better than it did last year. And that defense is is just as good as Georgia's. As, as some of these great programs that we've been talking about. Michigan deserves some consideration in that regard as well. But I, I would think OSU and Clemson are, are the best teams outside of the SEC. But Michigan really impressed me on Saturday. I thought I thought when, once that Penn State uh, defensive touchdown happened, you, I, I was like, okay, I think Penn State can, can create some separation here and actually pull this thing out. And Michigan's going to kind of be the Michigan of, of pre-2021 but but it didn't happen. That defense remained dominant, and they were able to uh, just lean on you in, in that run game. And I think J.J. McCarthy's a phenomenal player as well. So all those teams are, are really impressive to me. Yeah, I said earlier that uh, Ohio State and Clemson probably were going to go undefeated this year. Yes, that's me taking Ohio State over Michigan. Uh, you read my mind, bringing up Clemson on your own. I, and, and definitely I want to say shout-out to, to DJ, DJU. <laughs> as most people call him, that can't say his last name. Because those K. Klubnik whispers got real loud, right? And he was able yeah. to shut all of them up. You know, K. Klubnik from Westlake, who's a hell of a player. But uh, So definitely shout-out to him um, and, and Clemson being undefeated. I think they're going to make the playoff this year. I want to ask you about our old friend. Uh, I would say in Austin, but I guess in Dallas, Lincoln Riley at, at USC. What have you been your thoughts on them uh, thus far? And I, I thought way too many people, maybe it's because I got too many Oklahoma fans on my timeline, but they made so much about uh, – I was about to say Texas. They made so much about USC losing on the road by one point to a ranked team. Like, I, I, I didn't think that told me anything about USC except they were ahead of schedule. So what are your thoughts on Lincoln Riley and what he's done at USC thus far? Yeah, outside of Saturday, uh, another defense that we were just waiting to see, like, just show me, show me that you've taken a step. And they had. I mean, they 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 won some gritty defensive kind of games in the Pac-12, which is better than we all thought, right? The Pac-12 is better than we thought it was going to be going into the season. Um, and then, obviously, a shootout, crazy, emotional game against Utah. And look, Kyle, that, that that game was nuts, man. Kyle Whittingham deserves all the credit for having the you-know-whats to go for two there at the very end. Um, totally agree with him, by the way. I, I think the longer that game went, the more the talent, uh, you know, of USC would have would have taken shape and, and put a hold or an end to that game. But, yeah, uh, look, it's totally ahead of schedule, right? I, I think going into the season, USC was looked at as, hey, they're going to score points, don't know about the defense, don't know about the Pac-12. So, maybe a 10 and two kind of team uh, potential, you know, super, super, super dark horse for the playoff. And as things stand in mid October, kind of the same thing, right? Um, you know, 10, 11 win type team, maybe still the best team in the PAC 12 and still with everything in front of them, at least relative to their conference to, to lock that up and potentially play into the playoff depending on what all the other teams we just talked about are doing right if 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 some teams catch a, a bad l um 
or uh, unranked L, something like that, the optics, again, of USC's don't feel as bad. Like you said, ranked opponent on the road. I mean, look, that was the night Utah was honoring a couple of, of fallen teammates, emotion. I mean, just you felt it watching that game. I was falling asleep before that, but you felt it, right? You're like, oh, man, like if this thing stays close, I mean, you feel like it's going to be Utah's to lose. So totally uh, almost understandable there for USC, but I think they're ahead of schedule otherwise. They, they look – it doesn't look like a first-year coach and program in that regard, and I think that's the biggest compliment we can give them. Yeah, I was too busy watching the Padres advance to the championship series for the first time in 24 years. But I might have to go back and watch that, that. <laughs> that USC-Utah uh, game. I've been throwing all of these questions at John. He had no idea these were coming. So before this ad break, I'm going to give him a little preview of what I'm going to ask him next. My last question through seven games, who is the best team in the Big 12? First, a quick word from Nissan because our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network titled Thrilling Moments where we highlight the most exciting play from the Texas Longhorns weekend game. And this week's thrilling moment from the Longhorns come from Anthony Cook, where he hit Hunter Decker with his shoulder and knocked the ball out and secured the victory for the Texas Longhorns as they sit at 5-2, and two, matching their win total from last year. This segment hasn't been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today. Available now at Nissan USA. All right, John, I didn't give you a bunch of time, but I gave you enough time. Through seven games, who is the best team in the Big 12 and why? Man. Um, you don't have to say Texas. Coaches, you don't have to say Texas. Nobody's even listening. No, to no. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I think I'm going chalk here. I mean, TCU has shown they've they've won in their own variety of ways, right? Um, and I thought they, they had, gosh, five or six opportunities mm-hmm. to just be put to bed against Spencer Sanders and company and they just they just wouldn't go away um, and that's something that we we hadn't seen them have to do to this point because that offense speaking of crazy that offense is is really nuts uh, at just about every skill position so I, I thought that was huge for them uh, defensively uh, I think TCU is a program that uh, obviously you know we we always we always lowball because it's TCU right the expectations are never quite you know, hey, you know, this is a double-digit win team uh, that's going to contend in the Big 12. Obviously, this year with a new coaching staff, there's so many unknowns that go into that. But I, I think the offense is so prolific, uh, and the defense specifically last week showed some real resiliency. Um, and and even beating Kansas the week prior, it was it was facing two very different style quarterbacks uh, that they couldn't have prepared for, and they still found a way to hold hold off the the Jayhawks, which is Still weird to say out loud, but shout out to Kansas. They, they look and feel different this year. Um, so I think it's TCU to this point, but um, a lot a lot of meat still left on that schedule too, right? I mean, I, I, a lot will be determined in, in the Big 12. I, I think Texas is there and Oklahoma State thereafter. Baylor's been a disappointment. I think if I would have expanded that answer, I think they would have been in their quarterback decisions and execution thereafter has been really intriguing in, in Waco. But yeah, I think, I think it's that, that trio it's TCU, Texas and Oklahoma state. And obviously there's, sure there's going to be around Robin and, and Siri will eventually understand that um, we'll just settle it on the field. And that's the beauty of college football in a conference like that, where you actually play everyone, you get to find out um, exactly who, who the best program is. And then you probably get a rematch at some point down the line. So, I think it's those three, um, and I, I can't wait to see those those teams, you know, line up against each other because we've seen 
I mean, Oklahoma State hasn't had to do it quite yet, but Texas and TCU in particular have had to win different styles of games. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see um, how that works out. But uh, the Big 12 is fun, man. It's, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty at the top, which is a great situation for, for any conference when it's involving really good teams. And that's where the Big 12 is at, clearly above expectation as a whole to this point in the season. Yeah, you made a, a great point uh, about TCU and Texas finding ways to win. Before Oklahoma State lost, they had won every game by double digits. Only two FBS teams had done that, um, and Oklahoma State was one of them. And, you know, like you said, you know, right now TCU gets the edge because they're undefeated um, in conference play, undefeated, period. And, and so they're the best team in the Big 12 right now. But, you know, we're going to have something to say about that on November 12th when they come to Austin. Longhorn Nation, the revenge tour continues against Oklahoma State and Spencer, Spencer Sanders. On Saturday, thanks for John, Director of Football Recruiting at Sports Illustrated, joining me once again. And as always, peace.